Hi, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and this is an Advice from a CEO episode today. And I'm going to talk about cultivating an ownership mindset, even if you don't have employee ownership model. So at Stone Age, we are an employee-owned company. We have what's called the Own It Mindset, which is our set of values and attributes that will help you be successful at Stone Age. And it's all around this whole idea that we are all owners of this company. Therefore, we all have the responsibility to really um, understand our impact, our actions, our work ethic, and the success that it will have on the company or not, but hopefully success. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about how to cultivate this type of thinking, even if you don't have an employee-owned company. We all should want our employees to think and act like owners. They will be far more engaged and you will have more success. So I'm going to tell a story about when I learned the power of the ownership mindset within my employees. So have you ever gotten that true in your face feedback from one of your employees? If you haven't, then you have not lived. You have not experienced a leadership rite of passage, nor do you have a culture of ownership. If your employees are not giving you feedback, they are afraid because trust me, they have feedback for you. During my second year as CEO at Stone Age, we royally screwed up, or at least I thought we did. So I got a call from an angry customer telling him that we sent a used product, a very expensive used product. So what? How could this be? So I asked him to send me pictures, and when I received them, he was right. There was rust all over it and dings in the paint. It looked like it was years old. So I immediately went down to my shop, and I demanded to know what happened. In front of the entire shop team, including our sales manager, who went down there with me to see what had happened, I asked, how could you have sent this overseas to one of our most important customers? They looked at me nervously with their eyes wide, but they were deadly silent. There's... And finally, my shop manager spoke up and said, yeah, KP, I mean, there's no way that we sent it like that. Something must have happened while it was in the cargo carrier or the customer is lying. I felt my face flush. Really? He's not taking responsibility for this? He's blaming the customer? So I replied, well, I don't care how it happened. It's your problem and you need to fix it. Make sure this doesn't happen again because this is going to cost us a fortune. And I stormed out of the shop and went back to my office to call the customer to try to fix things. So about an hour later, my sales manager comes into the office and he closes the door. He said, oh man, KP, that was rough. You did some real damage down there. Those guys care about the customer as much as you do. They actually take a tremendous amount of ownership over everything that comes out of the shop, both the good and the bad. And you didn't give them the benefit of the doubt. You didn't trust that they did the right thing. I don't know if they're ever going to open up to you again. I know how important building relationships is to you. So I wanted to let you know that they are angry and not uh, very happy with you right now. Oh, he was right. I didn't ask them one single question. I didn't give them the benefit of the doubt. I assumed the worst. I was so embarrassed. I started to cry. My sales manager was right. I lost my cool because the customer lost his cool on me. And instead of absorbing it like a good leader would, I projected it and then amplified it onto my team. I thank my sales manager for having the guts to tell me. And I walked back down to the shop and personally apologized to each one of them. 
it was one of the most humbling experiences that I've ever had. It was then when I realized the power of ownership thinking and my actions would either cultivate it or stifle it. And I wanted to cultivate it. Just proud of my employees for standing up against me. So you see, this is the power of an ownership thinking. And we are an employee-owned company and we too cultivate this. But this is such a powerful thing for you to consider too, because the best kind of culture is the one where the employees show up and think and act like owners. When you build a culture of ownership, you will drive results. Why? Because when people know that they have a say in their daily work and then in the direction of the company, they feel more empowered to do great work, to be invested in your organization's success. In fact, according to the National Center for Employee Ownership, one of my favorite organizations, companies who have high engagement, high ownership mentality within their organizations generate an incremental 6 to 11% added growth in their revenue than what their performance would have been predicted to be at. That's phenomenal. That's a great kind of growth. We all should want that. So how do you cultivate the ownership thinking, the ownership mindset within your organization, even if you're not an employee-owned company? So the first thing is, is you have to exhibit the ownership mindset yourself as a leader. You cannot expect your employees to show up, show up with the ownership mindset if you yourself do not. You must own all of your actions, decisions, mistakes, attitudes, behaviors. You must regulate your emotions and be a force of positivity and motivation. You must live your company values, even if they do not serve your interests in the moment. Why? Because you set the tone. Your employees will model your workplace behaviors. If you show up with an ownership mindset, they probably will too. And they will likely follow suit if you deflect, blame, or have a bad attitude. One of the ways that I exhibit my ownership thinking is by living my motto, cool, calm, and collected. How does this help me? Well, when I'm cool, calm, and collected, I remain level-headed despite a high-pressure situation. I can regulate my emotions. I make better decisions. I listen more carefully. And I recognize when I am negatively impacting the team. That is owning it. So develop and live by your own model that will help you stay true to an ownership mindset. Number two, teach people how to give and receive feedback. Cultures that exhibit ownership thinking are also cultures of feedback. But giving feedback is not easy to do, and many people avoid it, like many leaders. I certainly have avoided it. I'm sure you have too. So I recommend teaching Kim Scott's radical candor model of providing direct, clear, and helpful feedback, and, and then practicing it regularly. You have to practice it to get good at it. If you haven't read Kim's book, Radical Candor, How to Be a Kick-Ass Boss While Keeping Your Humanity, it's amazing. And she can give you all the tools you need to set up an effective feedback model that anyone in your organization can implement and use. It's very powerful. Then you need to encourage your teammates to talk about what's going well and what isn't. You have to solicit feedback about the company, about performance. You can implement many 360 degree reviews where peers give each other feedback. We do this as Stone Age and it's so powerful. Peers would way rather get feedback from each other than from their manager. And then you need to model feedback skills by asking people for it on your own performance. And when you get tough feedback, 
You need to handle it with gratitude and grace and say thank you and then take action. Number three, share financial performance. If you want your employees to act like owners, then you must treat them like owners. And as business owners, you need to possess financial acumen. So share your company or departmental performance. Teach people how to read financial statements and understand metrics. If you don't know how to read per financial statements, learn, and then work with your employees on it. Be transparent about the areas of the business that are going well and which ones aren't. Show them how they impact the company's performance through their work ethic and their efforts, their decision-making, their teamwork. It is very motivating to understand financial performance, but it takes time for people to wrap their heads around it because it is com complex. So start simple and talk about performance often. We review our monthly financials at our all hands meeting every single month, the good, the bad, the ugly, and our employees find it empowering and they are less likely to worry when we miss a month uh, because they understand the bigger picture and they understand how the overall performance is, is going. Number four, give autonomy. In his book, Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us, Daniel Pink asserts that the secret to high performance and job satisfaction is the deep human need to direct our own lives, to learn and create new things, and to better ourselves and our world. We all want purpose and we all want impact. And if you create a culture where first people are paid fairly for the work they do, and then help them better their own lives, help them direct their own lives, then you will create a culture of ownership thinking. One easy way to give autonomy is to let your employees develop their own processes and schedules. Ask them for input on their work and involve them in the strategic planning and goal setting process. Our employees love being part of the strategic planning process. It makes them feel like they really have say and, and own it and they understand it. When you are delegating tasks or setting out on major initiatives, share the outcome that you would like your employees to achieve and then let them devise the best way to achieve it. We give as much freedom as possible to our employees and they are significantly more engaged because they feel like they are in control of their daily work. And finally, number five, teach people how to resolve conflict. This is so important. Workplace conflict is miserable and it is far too prevalent. And many leaders would rather just sweep those issues under the rug than dive in deep and deal with conflict on their teams. Don't be this kind of leader. Instead, model what healthy conflict resolution looks like. Step in and help the team talk through issues. Don't triangulate, meaning don't be the person who everybody comes to to talk about the other employees and then you go talk to those employees trying to fix it. I know a little something about that. Triangulating is really bad. It only causes more conflict. Instead, encourage your employees to be curious, to ask each other questions and to hear each other out. Help employees in conflict find common ground and work towards positive outcomes. Brainstorm possible solutions and then help them divine devise a plan of action. Doing so teaches them how to work together to create a team culture where tough problems can be discussed and solved. And eventually then you will not have to be in involved. You will not have to intervene. I've worked with this on my team over the years and they are exceptional at resolving disagreements without me. Just last week, my engineering leadership team were disagreeing about roles and responsibilities. Instead of having me step in, they said, we want to fix this. And so they sat down and they brainstormed and debated possible solutions. And then they created a document 
with their engineering operating team principles. This was awesome. This was how they're going to work together. And they presented it to me and they were so incredibly proud. They solved their own issues. They built relationships with each other. They practiced their feedback giving and feedback taking skills and they solved their own problem. Having years to reflect on this experience when I lost my cool and blame my employees for something that they weren't responsible for, I am incredibly grateful for it. Not that I haven't lost my cool since then, I certainly have, but what this did is it taught me the true power of ownership thinking, of the ownership mindset, and it set me on a path to cultivate what we call the own it mindset, like I talked about earlier. And this has been so powerful. Everybody understands what they need to do to succeed. They understand what kind of behaviors are expected for them at the workplace. And it's so empowering. And developing the owner own it mindset, well, yeah, it took some time, years in fact, but it's worth putting in the effort. Our engagement levels are in the high 80s, low 90s every time we send out a cultural survey. And this is astonishing considering the dismal state of employee engagement worldwide. You can make progress today by implementing a few of these practices, even if it's just a small step, because in the small steps, there are steps in the right direction. And you can make a big impact by just doing one little thing at a time. That's certainly how we did it. So hopefully this helps you cultivate the ownership mindset thinking so hopefully this helps give you some ideas on how to be able to uh, build the ownership thinking within your team or within your company. It's so worthwhile. And I'm always happy to discuss it with you if this is something that you would like to do more of, or if you want to learn more about the power of employee ownership. All right. My question of the week comes from a amazing uh, CFO business broker that I've been working with. I have a ton of respect for him. And he's a consultant working on a project with us. And I shared with him my story and uh, of, of addiction and, and overcoming it. And he said, Carrie, you're so strong and independent, um, smart. How did you get sucked into substance abuse issues? I've done a lot of thinking about this and I write about it in my book. But Ever since having this conversation and and really diving into, you know, the work that it takes to understand yourself, I realized that for my whole life, I was incredibly lonely, even though I was surrounded by friends and I had an awesome mom and family, I never felt like I belonged. I always felt lonely. I always felt awkward. And mixed with my personality, I'm a three on the Enneagram, which is an achiever, which has a high need for recognition. Those two things combined, I think really were a tough thing for me. And my father leaving when I was young and I never got attention from him. It just felt this, it just fed this need for wanting to belong, but never feeling like I did. And that just grew and grew and grew inside of me as I became a teenager and as a young adult. And I think I filled that loneliness with stuff, right? Whether it was shopping, because I definitely had a shopping addiction, whether it was always being busy, right? Never being comfortable being alone with myself. I always had to be around friends, whether it was drinking too much, partying too much, you know, getting involved in drugs. I was always trying to fill 
that loneliness that, that I felt. And I think it was because I was purposeless. I didn't know what my purpose was, right? It was always like, just do, do, do achieve, achieve, achieve. It doesn't matter who you really are. It doesn't matter if you like this, just do it. Go to engineering school, get an engineering degree. It doesn't matter that you don't want to be an engineer, just do that. And so, um, I, I didn't have purpose and the combination of loneliness and being purposeless, I think is what really fueled that. And that was pretty traumatic for me. And I've also had to do a lot of work around judging my trauma, right? I do not have trauma like so many people have. And so it's like, ugh, suck it up. Like, you know, okay, great. Your dad left when you were a little kid and, you know, didn't have much of a, of a relationship with him and, you know, kind of, you know, these things happen, but it wasn't bad. Like there are people who have way worse life, but trauma is trauma. And, and I really learned to recognize that. And so this is why I think that I went down that path. And so it didn't have anything to do with my intelligence or my, my strength or my resolve. It had to do with not feeling like I had a purpose, wondering why I was here, feeling really lonely and awkward all the time. Like, you know, what is this life really all about? That's why when I came to Durango and I followed my heart and I went back to my family where I did feel like I belonged and I got my job at Stone Age where I found my purpose of being an impactful leader, a leader who exhibits the ownership mindset. I could tell my story and I could start to feel like I belonged, a little bit less lonely. That's when it all just went away. I didn't have to use substances to fill the loneliness or shop to fill the loneliness, although I still like to shop. Uh, and, and I think that that's really part of it. So I appreciated the question and it's given, I've given a lot of thought to it. And I think that that is a big part of it. And I write about this in my book. Um, but you know, I, we should be more aware of addiction and, and not shun addicts, not punish them, not tell them that they're not worthy, not isolate them. All that does is just feed the loneliness and the self-hatred and the lack of self-esteem that they already have. We all just want to feel like we belong. And we usually use substances when we are trying to mask pain. All right. Well, that was super philosophical and, uh, and I hope provided some insight, um, for other people if they're struggling with addictive tendencies. Um, that's, that's really the work that I've done for, for, for figuring out mine. All right. With that, I will leave you and I look forward to hosting you on the next episode of reflect forward. Have an awesome interview for you. Take care. And if you like this podcast, please write a review, rate it, subscribe to it, share it. It's always good for the algorithms and I appreciate it. Thanks. See you next week.